Before we begin today's episode, we would like to express our heartbreak over the May 14th racist mass shooting in Buffalo, New York, which claimed the lives of 10 adults, and the May 24th school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, which took the lives of 19 children and two teachers. Our hearts go out to the victims' families and anyone who has been affected by these unspeakable acts of violence. Choose love, not hate. Hello and welcome to Mozart of Hoops, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of basketball, how we learn to appreciate its beauty and understand the ebbs and flows of the game. My name is Ian Quinn, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Chris and Owen. Uh, Chris, how are we doing today? Uh, fantastic. Just uh, winding down uh, the conference finals here. Looking forward to uh, some championship basketball. Agreed, agreed. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing who comes out of the East. Um, Owen, how about you? How are you doing today? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing okay. Lots of really good TV coming out now. You know, Better Call Saul. Stranger Things is okay, but you know, I'm watching it. Uh, basketball is on. I, I kind of like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how are you, Ian? I I am good. I am also just uh, enjoying basketball as much as I possibly can. I've been watching a lot of it lately. Uh, not even just the not even just the playoffs, just older games in general. Um, I've I've been really enjoying it, and uh, somewhat happy to see the Warriors back in the finals. I know a lot of people would be question marking that one, um, but you know they're just they're they're just such a special team. I think they uh, they deserve to be back, and it's good to see them back because uh, they're exciting to watch. Really disliked the Warriors, Ian. Did I? Did I say yeah, that? Aren't you? Aren't you like yeah. Harrison Barnes, like big time fanboys? Shouldn't you have some like? Some hatred for the Warriors, man. I don't really have hatred for many teams. I, I, I can't, I can't get it into my heart to hate. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, whether it's uh Boston or Miami, it should be a very interesting, um, finals. Um, so, getting into what we are going to be talking about uh, today, we're going to be breaking down uh, some of the passing bigs from pretty much the beginning of the NBA to uh around the night what's a passing big let's not do this we're not gonna do this let's start that again (laughs) but um so we're gonna be looking at passers from roughly the mid 1950s to around 1980-ish um if we go over a little bit we go over a little bit it's fine um is there a passer that you guys would like to start with I was gonna say, who's the first? Who's the first big guy that everybody knows of? I mean, probably Mike. And Mike. <laughs> yeah, he's not a passing Mike. big. He's not a well, passing. I, I, no. I, 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 I disagree with both of you. I think he actually is at least somewhat of a passing big. Oh, jeez, Louise. Okay, I mean the guy is capable of throwing a pass, but like, in the no, paint. I mean this guy. I mean, sure, he was coming in the pre-shot clock era, but he was still averaging what, like four assists. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, I just haven't seen any of George Mikan uh, film, um, so I don't really know much about him. I know that he had four assists, but how many of those were turnovers as well and stuff like that? Well, what um, we can surmise is he had a crap load of gravity as uh, yeah. the first premier, you know, interior scorer. So, yep. That'll, uh, All those Mikan drills, man, paying off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, 
for me, the first passing big that comes to mind is Marie Stokes. Um, Marie uh, well, Stokes. Well, Ian, like, like first, like, do you have any thoughts on, I, I guess, these passing bigs? Like, like, what are you looking for? Like, like, what jumps out at you? What are you excited to find out about this? I'm just excited to find out the different types um, and how many there are uh, throughout the years. And, you know, who is, you know, ahead of their time almost in terms of how they're passing. Um, And speaking of somebody that's ahead of their time, I was just mentioning them. It's, it's, it's Marie Stokes. Um, I've frequently made the comparison that he is and, and Owen, Owen's the one who I think originally made the comparison that he is 1950s Draymond Green. Um, Just a really good movement passer, good in transition He's just, he, uh, there's limited film, but from what, what I've seen, it's pretty incredible. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, yeah. the, the Draymond uh, comparison is, is really apt because uh, in many ways, that's kind of his play style. Um, I think he did um, a lot more like kind of half-court setup stuff for them than any other big man would probably for a while um yep. for the royals because they did kind of uh use him as the first you know kind of big man hub uh you know where he'd receive the ball at the top of the key and then look for you know cutters or uh guys you know popping up screens because contrary to what people believe uh there were there were a lot of screen actions back then um so he uh you know yeah he's the first first big guy to probably you know really leverage that as a major part of his game because uh he obviously lacked the touch to uh and the size i mean he's six seven so you know didn't didn't have the uh the height to to score inside as well but yeah but he did have that unsold bulk to him mm-hmm. yes he did yep absolutely yep. um you know he uh he's one of the biggest what ifs um in nba history to me because um obviously he well not obviously because i'm not sure many people know about him he uh he had a freak injury, I believe, um, and yeah. it caused him not to not really a freak paralyzed. injury. I mean, it was just, just uh, yeah, came one up for a rebound and came down uh, basically on his head. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and cool. uh, he was pretty much he was paralyzed for the rest of his life. Um, his teammate Jack Twyman uh, took care of him. Um, he was his he was his guardian, um, and that's why there's the. Wyman Stokes Teammate of the Year Award. Um, so, yeah. a little backstory about Marie Stokes. But yeah, he played for the Royals um, in the 19, uh, from what, 1955 to 1958-ish. Yep. Um, and was just improving every year. Was probably the second best defender in the league behind Russell once Russell came in. Yep. Um, he was. You know, he, uh, and he was probably the best defender in the league uh, before Russell came. So, you know, he, um, his shot and stuff like that, I just, I don't really like. I don't see that overly translating to this era. However, what I did see was his passing translating. Um, and I think that just some of the passes he was doing as a big man were just like, it felt like 50, 60 years ahead of its time. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, he was making no look passes like over his head, I think, like crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so he's definitely the first one um, that I think of when I think of passing bigs. 
Um, well, from like that one era. thing, one thing I wanted to talk about with Stokes, and, and, and kind of like a preface for all of these guys, is like you know, I mean, we're used to bigs being used as play finishers, but there are obviously occurrences where bigs are working as offensive hubs or even offensive engines. I mean, you look at Jokic. But for a center that shares like a large portion of the team's passing and creation, like Stokes, how much does it really impact the offense? Or like, how does it compare to offenses led by like a strong perimeter player, like an Oscar? Like, are there examples going forward of like a blended offense where you have like an Oscar and a Kareem? Like, what is the impact we're seeing from the centers that have this, like the ball in their hands that they're creating? Like with Stokes, um, he, I mean, he led the team in assists his final season, but the Royals were last in the league on offense. So, like, like what type of impact was he having? Would, would the impact be different? Because he was filled with, like, shooters around the team, like Jack Twyman. If he were in today's era, would his offensive impact be better? It, it's just something to think about. It is something to think about, and I think that I'm not sure he's somebody that I would like as, like, an offensive number one, um, which is why I think the Draymond comparison is so useful because yeah. Draymond works well um as you know one of the lower end offensive players because of his passing he's able to help create yeah. great offenses um so i think like it just depends on situation um i think that the 1950s is not exactly the best situation to judge an offense really because it just seemed like I don't, I don't know what they were doing out there half the time. I mean, somebody pulled from beyond half court and it wasn't even like the, you know, the end of the end of the quarter or anything. <laughs> so I was kind of yeah, like, I mean, what is Tom going Heinsen on? Tom looking at you. There's some questionable <laughs> playbooks there. Yeah, Tom Heinsohn, not a passing yeah. Um No, 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 no. Passes no. that he liked. Um, so, but yeah, I totally agree with you on on all those points so and that's the deal like that's the optimal role for maurice stokes it, that's why the yeah the yeah. draymond comparison on the money like that is that's that is the prime role for him you don't want him doing too much you know especially in the half court probably just because like you said he's so limited scoring the ball so but to segue kind of off of that what, what you said before about you know him and russell being the number one and two defensive players uh in the league probably and they're there are some similarities with those guys um, as far as, you know, using their defense, uh, you know, shot blocking, rebounding to initiate the offense, like, you know, almost instantly, like as soon as the possession changes. Yeah. Um, I think another point that I wanted to bring up, too, about um, what, you know, these these passing bigs that Owen was talking about prefacing, um, I think where they can be useful is the fact that they are, they are, they're big, their vision, um, to be able to see over the top of other defenders, um, allows for passes to be, you know, hit on cuts, um, stuff like that. So I think that they're good as offensive hubs, um, for sure. And in the case of Maurice Stokes, like, he that wasn't his strength being able to find you know angles over the top necessarily i mean he he not that he didn't do some of that but but the the advantage that he had was you know the first kind of stretch big like he's he's pulling the other team's center away from the goal so even though he himself is not you know a post scoring threat he's clearing it out so that other guys you know can get looks down low without being uh you know, bothered by rim protectors. 
Yeah. And he's he's just really good at also where I see a lot of the Draymond in him is just the passing on the move. I think he's Yeah, I I was gonna point that out. Yeah. Um he's yep. he's very accurate, um, and just seems to have really good vision in general, um, when he's on the move. Um whereas some of these other passing bigs we'll talk about, I don't think they are very good at that. <laughs> um I'm looking at you, Tom Borwinkle. <laughs> um but uh, he just wasn't good at moving. No, 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 he wasn't. Um, so is there anything else you guys want to touch on Marie Stokes before we move on? Um, I don't think so. I don't know if there's a whole lot else that they really could say. Uh, that wouldn't not do. a lot of really, film. really just about if, if if his offense translates better to today's game. We actually have shooters around him. I mean, he had shooters around him with the Royals, but I mean, it, it doesn't have the same impact <laughs> as it would today. Yeah, agreed. He doesn't have Steph Curry as his shooter. No, 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 him. but I, I mean, either way, like Jack Twyman, he, he, was, he was a great shooter for the era. Like, yeah. but I mean, still, they, they ended up dead last in offense. But like, would it be the same if they had a three-point line then? Well. Yeah, that's probably Yeah, not. I mean, they, they... They might be a little bit better. I mean, they may they may still not have been, but I think there are probably other reasons. No, yeah, I, I mean, they have a ceiling with the fact that Marie Stokes was he was the offensive engine. So, I mean, that kind of leads to the point. Like, yeah. like, do we want a big to be the offensive engine for the team? Well, it depends. I mean, I don't want like just as just in a, as an example, um, you know, Bam Adebayo. He's a great passer. Do I want him to be the engine of the Miami Heat? No. I do not. So I think that obviously for that era, Stokes had to do a lot more than he would in this era. So I think he would translate based on the fact that he's not going to have to shoot as much um, because, or, you know, post up or whatever, because his touch is terrible. So I do feel like in this era, he would be more apt to, um, I don't I don't see him being more than a ten point per game score. Generously. I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but but then so like what do we need to see? Like like what creates an offensive engine? What is a good offensive engine? What do we need to see from that? Like like I know we were gonna talk about Jokic later, but what exactly would it take for a big to be like a significantly impactful offensive engine? It needs to command a lot of attention. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the reason Jokic led, you know, this offense, what were they, sixth this year in off- offensive rating? Um, he has the ball so much. I think I think somebody that is doing all that creating, all that scoring, all that heavy lifting, then, yeah. And I think for a big to be that offensive engine they have to be doing a little bit of everything. Whereas some guys like, like I mentioned Borwinkle already. I don't see Borwinkle being an offensive engine whatsoever. Um, It's just because he doesn't do as much as what Jokic does um, on ball and off. So do you think you need to be able to score? Uh, Yeah. I do think you need to have that scoring gravity where a team is nervous about you scoring and they're also nervous about you making a pass. So it's, it's impossible to 
like Jokic, I mean, they're a lot of the things about him, you know, they say, oh, he doesn't get double teamed, all that other stuff. I mean, you don't want to double team Jokic. So to me, you know, it's that. Like, you got to be able to have the scoring and have the passing level to be so able to. Just to be a, a triple threat offensive player. Pretty much, yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, and a lot of, a lot of the great offensive players, you know, you look at Nash, you look at Magic, you know, they're mainly heliocentric guys. They're more on ball. Um, so I don't know how much of a factor that plays into it as well is on ball versus off ball in terms of being the top offensive guy on a team. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, just chewing. I'm just asking questions going forward, so. I, I, I okay. kind of want some more more clarity on everything. Okay. All right. Um, so we can probably move on from Stokes now. We can probably move on to, I'd say, Bill Russell. What, what do you think? Bill it's, Russell? Passing Bill Russell. Big? He's okay. And he came in the year after Stokes, right. so unless there was somebody else in 1955. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Um, Johnny Red Kerr. Oh, yes, I, I was actually going to mention Red Kerr. Yeah, yes, he, he's a, a good passer. He could throw a pass. Yeah, okay. no, 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 he, he was a he was yeah. a very good passer. Yeah, better than Mike. Um, I'll put that out there. <laughs> Weren't you the one just defending Mike as a passing big? Yeah, but that just shows how much, just how good Kerr actually was. He, he was he was a good passer. Interesting. I mean, yeah, we're going to be talking about like like you know like well, again Oliver Miller at some point. I mean, then we're definitely going to be able to talk about Red Kerr. Just, just saying. Okay. Yeah, no doubt. Right. Well, this is, just gets us to the difference also between, like, you know, some guys are just exceptional passers. Like, they have very good passing skill. And other guys, they can score the ball really well. So there's a lot of guys open around them. Yeah. Um, yep. So oh, in, yes. terms of, in terms of Bill Russell, um, oh, and I know he's your favorite player. So why don't you, why don't you take yeah. us through Bill Russell's passing? Okay. Um, on the surface, Russell kind of looks like your now traditional, like what we see every day, just a passing hub center. Um, after Kuzi retired, uh, Russell had to become more involved in the Celtics' half-court offense, you know, more egalitarian style, just out of necessity. But and so he would typically work from the high post, you know, finding cutters or waiting for an open teammate. So like nothing really all that flashy, but like he would occasionally like fake a hook shot. And it would look, it would just turn into a pass to a teammate that's driving toward the basket. That was a, really cool. Um, he had really good vision, uh, which paired with his athleticism allowed him to find openings and make like a tight pass to the right spot. Very KG esque in his ability to map the court. But where Russell really excels in his passing is through his defense. Celtics' offense was fueled by its defense, creating transition opportunities, and Russell was the god in this arena. After getting a stop or rebound, Russell would use his vision to send an outlet pass way down the court to a sprinter for the easy opportunity. Uh, just as often, though, Russell would get the ball and he would take it up the court himself, where he was able to pass on the move, you know, kind of like Giannis almost. Uh, even more fun, I mean, he was the greatest shot blocker of all time, and he would use some of these blocks and just tip it right to a teammate, which would lead to a fast break. Just insane. So on the surface in the half court, um, you know, it doesn't look like anything spectacular. But underneath the surface, there's just so much more to his passing game. And like the transition passing, that is what really shines through. Oh, I'm sorry. I just love it. Yeah, I agree. Hey, with I mean, that was great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, he is awesome. That man. was great. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I from I and I've only seen like a game. I, of I know I've heard Russell. some people say he has these Rondo assists. No, man, come on. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to touch on this a little bit. Um, I was watching the uh, 1963 NBA Finals. It was Game Six. Um, so obviously this was Russell going up against, uh, you know, uh, Jerry West, uh, Elgin Baylor, you know, your classic scrubs from the sixties. Right. Um, and you know, the, uh, play by play guy, I, I, I didn't get what his name was. Um, but he said, Russell again, gets that rebound. And there's no discounting the effect that Russell has, not only in getting the rebounds, but also in starting up the Boston offense. And, I mean, I couldn't agree more um, because, I mean, there was multiple instances where he just, you know, would stop on a dime and be able to jump and block like a Jerry West jumper and would tip up in the air because it was so light how he would block shots. And it was almost like a steal in a way. Mm-hmm. And he would he would he would grab the ball and he would immediately kick it up court or push in transition. It was just incredible to me. Like, you know, I, I feel like <clears throat> having not watched much of Russell just because of, you know, the limited amount of film we do have. I was impressed in the fact that I didn't think he was that good offensively. So I think that my my opinion of Russell changed a lot more because that passing is really, really good. Yeah, I agree. And that was also Bob Cousy's last game with the Celtics, by the way, just throwing that out there. It was, it was his last game. I remember they were, he got a standing ovation in Los, Los Angeles. Um, Cause he was uh, retiring and he also got injured. I feel like midway through like the third quarter. And people thought that was the last time they were going to see him, but he ended up coming back on the court. Oh, oh yeah. Game, game, game back for the, uh, the team that you support, Ian. The Sacramento Kings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, not exactly the Sacramento Kings. They weren't the Sacramento Kings yet, but the close same enough. franchise. Yeah, close enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just the fact that his offense was basically driven through his defense. I just found that really impressive. And just Um, how important that was to the entire team's offense. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, And that team was, I I feel like that was one of the more well-built teams. Um, You know, you look at. um, That's an understatement. Yeah, they they, they were, they were, uh, they were okay. 11 times. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're perfectly engineered. Yeah. um, You know, and, just, just an incredible player. Don't forget, Red uh, wanted to add Wilt into that same system, right alongside. I mean, that just <laughs> that would have just been insane. But um, I'm almost kind of glad that didn't happen because um, I, 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 I've enjoyed uh, hearing the stories and watching some of the games with uh, the Russell and Wilt rivalry, quote unquote. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I really, I really liked Russell. I liked what he did. Um, not only is he, you know, the greatest defender of all time, he's one of the best passing bigs of all time. Uh, do you guys have anything else to say on Russell? I know Owen covered uh, a whole heck of a lot. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything else to add. Who do you prefer, Ian? Bill Russell or Marie Stokes? In terms of just passing. Oh, well, man. And, and creation. Um, we'll talk about playmaking as well. Um, I, I think I prefer 
at this point, I think I prefer Russell. Um, because, and it goes back to kind of what you were saying um, about how Stokes was the engine um, for the Royals. Russell wasn't exactly the engine. He was the um, uh, the hub in sorts. And his the, the fact that his defense was able to he did have to create... take a bigger role when Kuzi retired. Um, he just, did. Just, he had to. But I wouldn't exactly call, still call him the engine of that offense. I think that he's... But I, I mean, I, couldn't I like... you make an argument that just through his defense, the offense he created, is, is that not almost like the engine? At times. No. It, 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 the it, thing it, is, it's, it is yeah. it's not repeatable every time. Like, it, it, you... I mean, if the other team scores, then... Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you, obviously, that advantage is lost for the most part. I mean, they still did run a good secondary break, too. But um, I think the thing is, what, what it looks like the Celtics knew how to really do well was, like, pick the spot when, okay, now is when we're going to let Russell create something. Um, you know, they run normal sets a lot, but then you see them kind of change up what they're doing in the second half, um, especially, you know, in the fourth quarter of a game that they have a lead in, if it's very close at all, they spread everything out and they'll bring Russell up top because he can actually, you know, he's quick enough and can handle the ball. So, yeah. if it, you know, he could blow by, um, you know, his big guy defender. And a lot of times he's just getting straight to the rim because they've got it so spread out. But if somebody comes over to pick him up, then he's got an easy dump off there. So it's, you know, I think I, I the degree of difficulty, I don't think was, that's not how I would characterize, you know, Russell's passing. Like he just is very smart and heady as with oh, yes. everything that he did. It's like, it wasn't flashy. He didn't make any, you know, I, just, you know, insane you know, passes through tight windows that you we're going to see a lot of other guys, like all the, the next guys we talk about basically are making completely different kind, a lot of different kinds of passes than what you see yep. from Bill Russell. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely agree. Um, but yeah, so, I think yeah. Eileen Russell um, over Stokes right now as a passer um, just off the, the transition stuff is just incredible to me. Um, so why don't we, uh, why don't we move on to, um, Russell's main rival, yeah. uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Um, Chris, uh, Wilt is your favorite player. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Wilt Chamberlain and his passing? Yeah, so, and there's a evolution here. I mean, as everybody knows, Wilt was, you know, the 50-point-per-game scorer when he came in. Well, I mean, that's kind of, that was his MO was, you know, he was going to take all the shots. The whole thing was going to run through him. Um, and it didn't really stop per se when he started passing the ball, you know, mid sixties kind of realized, you know, that some things needed to change in the offense because they were just not able to get over the hump. And, you know, as many others have pointed out, the team offenses did not, you know, exactly perform statistically better after he was there. Um, so, but you do see him make more concentrated effort to get his teammates involved because from a morale standpoint, that really was, you know, pretty draining on those teams, I think. Especially when, you know, you're playing, I, I can't remember how many teams were in the league back then, but you're playing the same people over and over and over again. So, you know, it's, would you rather play the Celtics style of basketball where they're all kind of sharing the ball and, and it's, 
you know, kind of a egalitarian offense or, you know, do you want to play for the Philadelphia Warriors that are pounding everything inside the wilt and, you know, he's, he's doing everything. So that's not very fun. So he did eventually start to pass the ball more. Uh, the thing is, Will always attracted a huge crowd, and this is the big difference between him and the other guys we talked about is his scoring threat. So because, you know, Will is super dominant in the post, he didn't always, uh, you know, turn that into the best finish that he could have because he was obsessed with making things more difficult on himself than it needed to be. But... Um, you know, it was not hard for him to find passing lanes around him because he attracted so much attention. So, um, you know, when he goes to the Philadelphia 76ers, when you really see that start to, uh, you know, become the offense where um, he really does shift uh, away from being a shoot first player and and really does kind of look to pass first. Now, <laughs> the big problem here is that he's a ball stopper like he's getting it to him in the post and and then you know the motion that needs to take place after that takes a lot of time and it slows everything down so you know there's there's definitely some limitations there but he has tons of opportunities um to find cutters around him. Uh, you know, those 76ers teams were really good at that as far as sending, you know, Chet Walker, Billy Cunningham, Hal Greer into motion. Um, even Lucius Jackson was, uh, you know, pretty respectable guy um, to take a, you know, a 10, 12 foot jump shot sometimes. So, um, or, you know, Wilt completely has, has drawn all the defense and somebody's wide open for a layup or a dunk down low. So um, he was really awesome at like these behind the back flashy kind of passes that you didn't really see anything like that before either, um, where he would hit a cutter just in stride coming down the lane, um, you know, just going behind his back, which are, you know, visually very appealing. Um, but Will also has some some turnover woes, as everybody knows, also because those are not uh, the easiest passes to make. So, pretty good uh, summary there, Chris. Uh, just 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 a few things I'm, I'm going to touch on. I mean, that 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 basically covered all of it. Um, I will preface what I'm going to say with uh, I I love Wilt. I mean, I feel like that's pretty clear. I love him very much, and he was a damn good passer. But the feeling I have when watching him just pass or playmake, it, it isn't one of awe. It's it's more of like frustration. Like Wilt is the one player who could have been the most unstoppable offensive force in all of basketball. He could score over anyone. And then he developed like this strong passing repertoire. Like you put those two together and, and my god, the sport is finished, right? But that isn't really what happened. I mean, for all of his his talent and strengths he didn't consistently leverage his passing into better scoring opportunities and, and vice versa. So like throughout what the 67 and 68 seasons, um, you know, his, his second and third years in, in Philadelphia, Will was defended as though he would score at will. Like, like the defenses were just like hounding him. So that, you know, that opened the floor for his teammates, just, just due to his gravity. But like when defenses started to crowd him, he became more passive and that became apparent in, in uh, 1968. So, like, 
his his touches in the 67 playoffs he, he was averaging like like 60 touches a game and then in 1968 he, he like dropped by half like the Knicks, like they, they just started defending him like man to man, and Wilt was not taking advantage of that. He would he would just start like hunting for assists as opposed to like taking advantage of the scoring openings that that were just there for him. And it was even worse against the Celtics. You just like you just let Russell just like stop him. Those things just bother me. He had the passing talent, and he just chose to to use that as opposed to tie it into his actual scoring game. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sorry. That, that that just bothers me. No, I agree. I mean, that's all. Yeah, you, that's that's a hundred percent valid. Uh, it's totally fair, and it's you can see a lot of <laughs> the frustration. You say, I, I, yeah, I definitely feel it because watching him play. Yeah, boy, if you ever want to jump into somebody's body and make different decisions for him, uh, that's man. Yeah, I'm haunted by that, but. Um, I don't know. It, it felt almost like he was like protesting or something. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm he. Not, I'm, well, not, I'm not scoring like I used to, so now I'm, I'm just going to pass. When you can watch footage of Will, uh, he himself looks frustrated perpetually. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't ever look like he's happy with what's happening in the game. I mean, he gets constantly like, you know, guys are they're pretty dirty with him, understandably, because you have to be like, like if he does whatever he wants, it's over for you. And yeah, he could have. And he never really did completely put all of it together in a way that would have made him, you know, in my opinion, undisputably the best player of all time. So that's the worst part about it. The bad, the even worse part is that it just kept getting worse. Um, and after yeah. we went to the Lakers, I mean, the offense completely dried up. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't trying to, you know, to score at all. And that underscores, you know, your big point here, like. Um, if you're not able to score, what does that do to to your ability to you know to find passes to make? You may have the ability to do it, but if the if the lanes aren't there because you're not opening anything up, yeah, you know, it, you're it, yeah. It's, it's just... But but I mean the the thing is like like even in in '68, you know, it's post injury, post like heart attack, all this stuff. Like he was still able to to just move and to create openings himself. And and you did see it like in sixty seven he was he was still doing it, but then in sixty eight like yeah. especially the playoffs it's just like he's he, he just chose to be a passer, and because of that I mean his touches went way down Hal Greer had like three times the amount of touches, and that should not be happening. And you know like what you were saying with the injuries, uh, you know he was very good in transition before all that, um, and then yeah. you know post injury he just was not. You know, he wasn't able to run up and down in transition, which is kind of the guy that everybody remembers, which is the, you know, the, that's the unfortunate thing for me because, you know, early Will Chamberlain highlights, like, you can still see him, like, running like a gazelle up the court. You know, I mean, him and Bill Russell both, like, those guys got up the court unbelievably fast back then. Like, I don't know that anybody, like, who's come along since then. I mean, maybe LeBron. Like just a guy, or or Giannis, Giannis, Giannis. Giannis. yeah, that's the one that jumps jumped into my mind. Yeah, like the he those guys just cover insane amounts of ground. So in in transition, Wilt kind of did some of that same stuff. He obviously, I don't, his handle was not uh, what Bill Russell's was in transition, but you know he could put it down, you know, for a few dribbles um, and cover, you know, thirty feet essentially and. 
you know, make that pass to the to the cutter to the you know to whoever's running up in transition with him. Yeah, and I I wanted to um, briefly jump in about um, <clears throat> what you guys were saying about Wilt never really being able to do two things at once almost uh, with his scoring and his passing. Um, and the color analysts for the game that I was watching in 1971, um, you know, it was the Western Conference semifinals. They were playing the Bulls. And, you know, the guy said with Gal Goodrich on the ben bench now, I think that Wilt Chamberlain should definitely look to shoot the basketball a little more. And I think that's just been a major qualm about his entire game is that he was never able to balance that passing and scoring and it always just seemed like he was choosing one or the other. Um, and it was never this, you know, wow, this guy is scoring at will while also, you know, throwing great passes. It was always one or the other. And he was extremely passive in this game. He was only really throwing passes. And then all of a sudden later he started shooting more. And I just think that, you know, it, it is, I, I love Wilt too. Um, but it is a major thing with him. Oh yeah. Um, that it was just, it was really just one or the other for him. Yeah. But, but okay. That, that, that's something that I, I kind of want to point out. Um, I do notice like, like Ian, Ian is, he's been doing a ton of work just uh, analyzing some players. <clears throat> and one thing he points out about a lot of these guys is, um, their patience in passing and waiting for an opening, mm -hmm. which is something that Wilt started to do. He became a very patient passer. But the thing is, with Wilt, that is a detriment. He, he would wait for somebody to, to just move, and then, like if they get get stuck, he's like, oh, now I guess I'll score. Whereas with like yep. these other players who are, who are more patient passers, they're waiting to make the pass, but they, they don't have that offensive game to be able to just like go and score at the basket, mm -hmm. unlike Wilt. So it, it's more like a positive trait for some of these, these other guys we're going to talk about, like Tom Borwinkle, as opposed to Wilt. It, like That patience, I don't really want to see that. I need to see a quick decision. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I yeah. I agree too. And I think that, you know, patience can only go so far, especially when people yeah. aren't exactly moving. Um, you know, when we, you know, it's it's hard for me because I think it's good um, in some senses, but it can really lead to negative offense in a way. Um, I think you mentioned like, oh, I got a score now. Um, cause yeah. you know, the shot clock's running down or something. So I think like if, if people are constantly moving around him and he's just waiting for one of them to get open, then sure, that's fine. But that's usually not how it works. Um, so yeah, I, there are, so, so there it's are almost issues. like a, a reverse Dantley. It is almost like a reverse. He's, he's Dantleying himself. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so how would you play get into today? The, how would I play him how, today? Like, how would you how would you use Will today? Oh, man. Is it possible? Um, is I, it possible to turn him into an engine? Um, yeah, that, that, that's it's hard. To it's yeah, it's it's really hard for me to answer. Um, I think there's there's just issues with him balancing everything. I mean, that, that and, that's the only thing. Like, like I, I'm extremely high on his offense, so so like yep. I do have it much closer to Shaq than a lot of other people will. So I mean, if he's mm -hmm. actually able to leverage that 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 scoring ability with the the passing through the gravity that he's creating, then then he's an absolute monster on offense. Yep. But yep. but it's just, will he do that? So do you think? And well, I don't do you know. think he's helped out by spate by modern spacing. Oh yes, yes, without yes, question. Yes. Yeah. 
but will he take advantage of it as much as he yeah well he could he could easily take advantage of it but will he that's that's the only problem I have. yeah it's I know. the major major issue um you know and i think like six nineteen sixty seven, which we often um in these circles um it, it is one of the greatest peak. seasons of all time it really is yes I, I, I don't yes care it is other people say it is yep it absolutely is um, and it's the closest he really came to balancing that scoring and that passing. Yeah, totally. um, I think he, I think maybe 1964 or 65, one of those years is also pretty close. Yeah, 64 is, is, is fairly yeah. close. Not, not as yeah. much uh, actual playmaking or creation. No, yeah. go no. back and you look at 67 box scores and it's like, yeah, he's got some insane games where, you know, you can yes. tell where he's, when he's, when he's not, you know, he's trying to get, other people involved perhaps when he's maybe doing a little bit more assist hunting than other times but then when the chips were down um and they were really trying to win games at that point and it was more about winning than it was you know whatever he was doing individually then you would see him come out of nowhere with like a you know 16 of 22 from the field and you know putting up (laughs) 40 some points and um you know still getting seven or eight assists so yeah, he was, yeah, he was yeah. 67 was kind of like he's, he's letting the offense actually come to him mm-hmm. and, and working within the flow of the offense. Whereas in 68, he just decided to try and dictate it himself and just eventually just got tired of it. Just, yeah, it, it's, it's annoying. He's, he's definitely an um, interesting case to talk about in terms of what makes a passing big good. Um, obviously, 67 is a great passing season from him. Um, but when you know somebody can't exactly score like that i don't know how valuable their passing can be um you know he's you know i was watching him in 1971 and he's obviously a lot slower you know he's still pretty darn athletic but you know he he really was not looking to score at all that was not his motive that was not what he was doing he was just waiting um so definitely something that i was bothered with about him yeah i mean by by that point the passing just became just just basically his primary trade on offense as opposed to being you know just just a rim finisher right um i mean defense defense was his calling card at that time so he, he was just used as as a traditional big in the sense that you know he'll he'll find an open pass and, and just finish at the basket yeah, that's about yep. it and and i think that's fine i mean Wilt changed his game so many times throughout his career. I mean, it's pretty yeah. incredible how he went from scoring 50 points a game to barely passing, really, to all of a sudden becoming like where the offense is running through him. They had one of the best offenses. He won MVP. They won the championship. They, they did have the best. It was the best offense in the league and, and by far. Yep. And this is yeah. why I think that this is why I give him a lot of, you know, benefit of the doubt in these thought exercises as far as, you know, how much better he could have been or anything like that. Cause all this stuff was there. It was just yeah. putting the pieces all together in the right way, which I'm still pretty sure is possible to do, especially yeah, yeah. because there's so much context. And this is a whole other thing. I am try not to get into it too much, but like, you know, I mean, him coming along as, you know, basically a circus attraction, um, at the time where he's like undisputably the greatest basketball talent you know, or the greatest prospect anyway, you know, but say what you want about Bill Russell being better. Like Will Chamberlain was the most hyped, you know, prospect to come along uh, until Kareem. So, 
Oh, geez. Yeah, I forgot what the hell I was saying. Well, I mean, one thing that I, that I was <laughs> going to say is that, like, it, it may sound like like me, especially, like, like I'm shitting on Wilt or something. Like, oh, geez, you know, this guy he fucking sucks, man. Language, I apologize. But, <laughs> but it, it's really like Wilt has just higher expectations than everyone else. Like, we see all of these different things that he's able to do, but he just didn't put them together. So we just have these higher expectations that we don't for other players. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree with that. He still did do things that nobody else really did. So we can't forget about that. That's, yeah. Uh... No. Yeah. I mean, he was, I yeah. 20,000 times no doubting. in some cases. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're going to, that, that's a good, that's a good spot to move on. Um, Jesus. Pass. Um, yeah. He did um, not pass. No. No, he didn't. <laughs> Jesus. Anyways, moving on. Um, I I didn't get to watch this guy, but I know Owen has mentioned him um a couple times. Uh, Nate Thurmond. Um, what do we think about his passing? I think Gobert. I mean, a lot of his passing um was handoffs. Um. Some good shovel passes, but nothing like, nothing really too fast. Again, he kind of played like the waiting game. Um, good outlet passer, but I mean, really nothing too spectacular, honestly. Yeah. Good, but you know, definitely below the guys we've already talked about. Yeah, I second yeah. that. He's yeah. he's a good outlet passer. Um, yeah, we didn't really give Wilt a plug on that. Wilt, very good outlet passer as well. Uh, Russell, to my friend. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Um. So why don't we actually move on? Worst. Because I mean the the there's not a lot to say about Thurmond. I just wanted to briefly bring him up. That's fair. Um, we met we 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 mentioned outlet passers. So why don't we mention the one that I but, think is the well, greatest? Uh, sorry, just go back to Thurmond. Thurmond is a good example of of a big like who will work as an offensive hub, but you know just just not in all of the plays. Somebody that will really fit into like a, a more perimeter oriented offense. So like you can get him the ball basically just to like reset a play. Oh. He's basically doing poor man Bill Russell stuff. Like that's yes. you know that's Nate Thurman's yeah. whole thing everywhere is he's just you know half a step down from Bill Russell. Um, yeah. You know, including offensively, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I'm like man. So um, it's just it's, oh, it's Thurman did like to take a whole lot more jumpers though. Yeah, he did. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. He did. Yeah, unfortunately, and he yeah. had terrible hands around the rim. But um, yeah, he just wasn't yeah. making the smart reads like Bill Russell was. That's the main difference between them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so moving on, um, I wanted to touch on who I think is the greatest outlet passer of all time. Kevin Love. No, but his his godfather, Wes Unseld. Wes Unseld, um, by all accounts, by height. It's not big. It's not really big, but he's wide. He's very wide. Um, and his outlet passing is a work of art, in my opinion. Um, I feel like he could just grab a rebound, turn, and he's already got the pass like three quarters of the court way down the court. Um, you know, he worked good um, in the kind of like a high post area. Um, but yeah, I mean, he just, he was incredibly um, good at catching the rebound, throwing it up the court, and hitting a man, like, 
perfectly in stride. Like it's just incredible, incredible to me how accurate he was on a lot of his passes. And he was fine in the half court, but it was really his outlet passing that I think made him one of the better passing bigs of all time. I think he's rather boring in the half court, um, to be honest. But yeah, his outlet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, his outlet passes are are definitely impressive. Um, there's a big difference between him clearing a rebound and Elvin Hayes clearing a rebound, and what happens after that. So it definitely, yeah, he's putting the ball into motion very quickly. So, other than that, I don't know if there's a lot to say about him. He's a good connective tissue passer. Um, you know doing a lot of that stuff around the perimeter because like you said he's six seven so i mean he'd go down in the post sometimes if that yeah if that yeah but he (laughs) you know it was mostly with him just pass you know he just is work you know one of the guys who's working the ball from side to side yeah and i think i think um I saw some instances where he would catch the ball in the high post area someone would do a quick backdoor cut whether it be um you know, like a Gus Johnson or um, Jack Marin or somebody, yeah. um, and he would hit them. He 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 mm-hmm. was accurate, but yeah, he's not he's not exactly flashy by any means. Whereas you know, I think no. the most flashy passer we've we've talked about so far is actually probably Stokes. Um, although Wilt probably yeah, is Wilt. up there too. I'll give that to um, Wilt. Yeah, yeah. Um, but well, I, um, I mean, like with Unsold, like his. Probably his most recognizable offensive trade outside of the outlet passing is just his screen setting, which would open up, yes. you know, lanes for passing. So I would say that, that that's, that's a pretty valuable passing attribute, honestly. Yeah, he's he's probably was I I'd say he's probably the best screen setter of all time. Um, those things were bone crushing. Um, I remember my uh, uncle telling me about Wes Unseld and saying, "Just watch some of him. His screens are just." <laughs> like they're deadly um and yeah i mean it added up he he was a heck of a screener um is there anybody else you guys want to mention before we is this where we uh, can talk wrap about up this? Is this where we can talk about tom borwinkle i mean yeah i was gonna say this entire yeah. episode has been leading up to borwinkle yeah, man. you gotta do it man i mean okay so yeah. so borwinkle is uh again he i hmm. I don't even know exactly how to say this. Like, I remember he's one of those guys when you like you watch old games, like even as, you know, an NBA history fan or whatever, um, you see this guy play and it's just like, you know, make me gag. Like he's he's seven foot tall and doesn't move and he has no, you know, offensive post skills to speak of it's and it's not quite that bad he actually does have a little bit um i'm just being not charitable to him here but um you know but still i mean when compared to like all these other players yeah i mean yeah that was not his thing it's very noticeable with someone like wilt because it's just so different than what you see in other games yeah and okay so to be honest what wilt did is probably that's the closest thing to what borwinkle does of any of these other guys so borwinkle you know he can take the ball Uh, to be honest anywhere in the post if you want to give it to him but you can start you know he'll start that at the top of the key or at the elbow or you know you can you can give the ball to him on the block and he can create from there too uh the thing with borwinkle was he you know like i said he's seven feet tall so he had you know a vantage point where he's he was really good at finding the angle to pass down on guys so um 
he, he was just yeah yeah he's, he's kind of like you know like the eye of sauron just, yeah. just looking yeah that's looking for frodo he finds him. that's it yeah he does he's always gonna find the ring man he yeah he's it's actually really fun to watch him now that i've gone back and you know appreciated some of these things more like he's a very talented passer to be honest he's he's got the best touch on his passes and maybe the best vision of any of these guys we've talked about uh is sad as that may make with his passing skill and his i don't know man yeah i, I believe he's yeah he's doing <laughs> he's making passes that bill russell didn't and but but could have so i don't know the thing is he's just out there yes, <sighs> but it's like look at his you know his per 75s are he's just throwing darts it's incredible yeah he he is yes. um i think uh, <laughs> We were just talking about how boring Unseld is in the half court. I find I find Borwinkle to be more boring. Um, I actually don't really... find Unseld that boring. Like you talk about with the screens, I'm not. I, mean, I like seeing that. Yeah, that's uh, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, as far as Borwinkle goes, he's not. He, to me, his only good trade on offense was his passing. His 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 scoring is very not great. Um, you know, he's decent down in the post because he's 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 strong. Um, but he's not moving hardly at all. He is standing on that free throw line and just pretty much waiting. Um, and I don't know. I, 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 I was impressed with some of his passes, but in general, it seemed like he was just making the right reads. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, that that's why, I mean, it does work in a more egalitarian offense. So, so he's able to actually, you know, hit the movers, hit the cutters, while not being the focus of the defense. Okay, so, yep. but you certainly, what you can see from him is he's hitting guys in those tight windows. Like he's oh, yes. those yes. passes in where it's like, oh, yeah, he, like you had no margin for error on that at all. Yeah, and he's not turning the ball over a ton. That's the other thing. Like he's 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 making these high difficulty passes. Um, you know, with pretty good efficiency, especially compared to, definitely compared to Wilt. So, um, which it may not be saying much, I guess. Man, but, uh, this Wilt guy. Uh, I don't know, man. I wasn't expecting this to turn into a Wilt slander episode, but he, I guess here we are. Um, so, okay, but at the same just, time, like, I could see Wilt doing that role just as well. So, he could, absolutely. Um, so I think that this is a good spot to actually stop. Um, we we finished with the with Borwinkle. Um, I know I said we were going to go up to 1980, but um, I think we can cover them in the next episode. Um, get into some of the other guys from the 80s that were good passers, and maybe even up into the 90s. Um, well, man, you know, we I thought this was a good episode. Guys from the 70s yet? I know we yeah. got we got a few more guys from the 70s to go. Um, that I think are better passers than the guys we've already mentioned. So I am looking forward to continuing this series. It's going to be coming out every two weeks um, uh, on the Mozart of Hoops uh, podcast channel. Uh, we're pretty much on every single platform now. Uh, the main ones obviously being Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at Mozart underscore of underscore hoops. You can also find us on Instagram uh, at Mozart of Hoops, all, all lowercase, all one word. Um, and yeah, I, I link our Twitters and our Instagrams in the um, bios. So 
thank you guys for coming on again. Uh, this was a great episode. Um, you know, we're going to continue. There's so many of these guys. Um, and I, I just, I'm really glad that we're breaking down some of, some of these guys that maybe people haven't even heard of yet. So I, I, I think it's fun. Um, so until next time, uh, peace. Peace.